Our Old Testament lesson this morning, famous one, it is Psalm 23, the whole psalm, verses 1 through 6, the psalm of David, which can be found on page 441 in our pew Bibles, or 859 in the large print. Psalm 23, before I read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. And God, we do want you to show us more about who you are, more about the ways that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have not left us alone or or groping in the dark to find out um, who we are, why we're here. But God, that you do reveal yourself to us in your creation, in your word, and most of all in Jesus. I pray that you would help us to pay attention to the ways that you revealed yourself, that we would be excited about um, the things that we are seeing and learning and experiencing, that we would be excited to tell others about who you are and what you're doing, that they would come to know you too. We pray this morning that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would give us ears to hear, that you'd give us minds to understand, that you would give us hearts that are ready to be changed as you continue the work that you began in us to make us into the people that you created us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Turning then to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I need to warn you. This morning, 
that uh, the sermon you're about to hear is not politically correct. But I hope at this point, uh, for those of you who've been coming for some time, that you would never expect that it would be politically correct. Because every week we're going to talk about Jesus, and Jesus is not politically correct. Um, In that, it's okay in today's culture and climate to have a couple different um, ways of talking about uh, things of faith. Okay, one is you, you can just pretend that there is no God. You can even state that you believe there is no God. And you know what? That's where most of our cultural entertainment comes from, is this position of we're just whether there is or not, we're going to pretend like there's not. We're going to act like there's not. We're going to portray it as though there's no God. And that seems to be acceptable. Or, you can believe there is a God, just don't get specific. No specifics at all. You can believe there's a God as long as you just keep it in these vague generalities. And so, I'm spiritual. It's okay to be spiritual. Just don't get into any particular faith. Or, You can even use the word faith and believe and things like that. Just don't ever talk about what you're having faith in or who it is that you believe in. Just use those words. That's fine. That's politically correct. But when you mention Jesus, not so politically correct anymore. And uh, this is not, not anything new. This actually is the situation where we find Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. This is kind of a long, uh, long passage here. It's verses 4 through 31. But I want you to hear the whole thing all together. As uh, Peter and John had been in, uh, they'd been going to the temple, and they'd seen a man who needed to be healed. He thought he needed money. That's not what he needed. And so they uh, said, no, you need, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so he does. And he goes with them into the temple, And what we saw last week is that all the people who saw this came around and were wondering what in the world is going on. And what did they say? Jesus. Jesus is what's going on here. Well, now we have the same kind of situation, except it's no longer the the crowds around. Now we have the authority figures getting involved. Now we have the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, etc. So listen. To what happens next, how Peter and John respond, and how all the believers respond. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us... We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All right. Told you it was long. Oh, but it's good. What we see in this passage is the centrality of Jesus in the midst of all kinds of opposition. And yet, the people who were, Jesus had said, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see them now doing exactly that. We see them being witnesses. We see them testifying to what they have seen and heard. And this is the kind of thing where they can't go back on it and say, okay, we just made it all up. <laughs> because they really did see it, and they really did hear it. And we, they had all this experience with him, they can't go back on that. And they can't keep quiet about it either. And so they can't say, well, we did see and hear it, but, I mean, I mean if you don't want us to say anything, I guess we, we won't. Maybe we'll just get together and talk about it quietly. No! They're going to be the witnesses of Jesus everywhere. And so they, you find them out in public talking about Jesus. And when you have these Uh, authority figures bring them up and question them about it. Question them about the healing. They're not talking to 
uh, the crowds in general anymore. Now they're talking to people who have authority over them politically, religiously, who can actually do things to them if they don't like what they hear. And we don't see Peter and John changing their story one bit. It is the same all the way through. Even though they know that the people they're talking to are these religious leaders, they're not going to like this answer about Jesus. Even though they know that these are the people who uh, convicted Jesus not that long ago, pronounced him guilty as being one who was blaspheming God, claiming to be equal with God, and who hung him on a cross where he was dead. These are the people that Peter and John are now talking to. They're not going to like this answer. And yet Peter and John, not being politically correct in their day, say to the political and religious authorities, it's Jesus. We have no other answer. I want you to notice also, that was Peter and John. Then it goes back and it talks about all of the other believers. And what did they do? First of all, they pray. They pray. They know they're in a situation of uh, political pressure to cave. They don't want to cave. They know what's true. And so what they do is they pray to God and they say, uh, this, is what, this is what God has been saying for a thousand years. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. But this is what's been going on, that the people in political power don't want to be under anybody else's authority. And so if you have these kings that are under the authority of a higher king, of God himself, what are they going to do? They're going to band together and see if we can get rid of him. And they said that is what's been going on for generations and generations. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. They can't get rid of God. And so that's exactly the same thing that happened. That's what we saw happening with Jesus. When God shows up in their midst in the person of Jesus, what happens? The political leaders and the rulers, they band together and they try to get rid of him. And it doesn't work. They kill him. They do everything they can possibly do. They use all of their power and force that they can muster. And they kill him. And it doesn't stop him. Death itself does not stop him. And he comes back to life again. Not just resuscitated, but resurrected. To a new and unkillable life. This is why it says that they plot in vain. They cannot stop him. And so then, what they, so then what they pray for themselves, they say, Now, Lord, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Because now we are the people who are being threatened, they're saying. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with greater boldness. Instead of saying, God, make them stop. They said, God, make us bold. It's a different prayer. So that is what's been going on from the beginning. That's what's going to continue going on. There will always be people who don't want the word of God to spread. And rather than just praying, make all that stop, 
That's a fine thing to pray, by the way. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And that would be all that stopping. But what they're praying, more than just that, is make us bold in the midst of this. Don't let us go silent because we get afraid. Help us to keep on sharing and sharing boldly the good news of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons that they're doing this, of course, we've already said, is because they're witnesses of it. They are witnesses of Jesus raised from the dead. They are witnesses of the things that he said and taught and did. They know who Jesus is. That is one of the reasons why they're doing this. What's the other reason? It's what he, uh, Peter said in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is why Jesus is politically incorrect. Because one of the reasons why all those other things are okay to say, all those spiritual generalities, you say, you know, to each his own. If that's what you want to do, fine, you go do that. If that's what you like, fine. There, I'm sure there are lots of ways to come to God. And that is not at all what the message of the Bible is. The message of the Bible is not that there are lots of ways to come to God, but there is one way that God has come to us. It is religion upside down. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus himself says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And his very next words are, watch out for false prophets. Because there are so many false prophets. The false prophets are the ones who say, the wide road is fine. Take the wide road. That's where everybody else is anyway. And it's much more comfortable there. There's room to maneuver. If you don't like what you see, you kind of move over into a different lane. Check that one out for a while. It's all good. And Jesus says it's not all good. The wide road is what is leading to destruction. And many people are going that route. Peter says salvation is found in no one else. No one else besides Jesus. Now, it's easy to say today, looking at a passage like this, yeah, we get that. Of course there are no other gods. Of course there are no other um, ways of salvation. But, what does it mean, first of all, be saved. Saved from what? And secondly, what are some of the other options that we have today besides those put forward as gods of other faiths? Depending on how you define salvation, it will change the answers you give to where you might find salvation. And for a lot of people, that question is never really asked. It's just assumed. And what is assumed by salvation is some form of the good life, whatever that means. And so, for example, if you feel like you are constantly worried and afraid that somebody is, you know, that something might happen and you will be financially ruined, then you say, well, if I just get enough money, if I get enough money, if I work hard enough and I play my cards right and I vest well, then I will get enough money that I don't have to be afraid anymore. I don't have to be worried about the circumstances of life. I will be the one in charge, and that, for me, will be salvation, though we may not use that word. 
That doesn't work. That doesn't work as salvation because then you get, the more you get, the more you find how fragile it all is. And the more you get, the bigger a target you are for those who want to take it. So the more you get, the more worried you become. If that is what is your salvation, is your money. This is why Jesus warns against uh, that sort of thing. And in fact, even says, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So it can't be that. But today it's often assumed that that's what it is. Or we say, well, what if, uh, what if it's more just about power and control? Maybe that's where we find our salvation. If we can just climb up the ladder high enough, like Yertle the Turtle in the Dr. Seuss book, if we can get high enough over everybody else, then that will be, um, that will be our salvation. And then you get to the top, and you realize it's not there either. And one thing after another after another, ways that we have, really subtly, of redefining salvation in worldly terms. And then we chase after those things and don't realize that we are following false gods. That we are following some false promise of a false salvation. And this is where Peter says, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus did not come so that we would have lots of money, that we would have lots of power, that we would have lots of comfort in this life, that we would have um, all, all of our desires fulfilled. It's not what it's about. And if we think that those things are our deepest problems and our deepest needs, not it. If we understand, though, that we have been created by a loving creator and that we have turned away, all of us have turned away from him, and that there is nothing we can do to get ourselves back, then we understand what the real problem is. And it's a problem that's bigger than any one individual. It's a problem that's bigger than even the span of our whole lives. It's what separates us from God, not only in this life, but always. But what if? What if there was a way to be put back? To be put back into the way that we were supposed to be from the beginning. To be put back in the way in which we have not brokenness, so many ways, but wholeness. Where we are put back together as the people that we were made to be in ourselves, but also in our relationships with others. That we would be whole people in whole relationships with other whole people. And that all of this can only happen as we are in a whole relationship with the God who created us from the very beginning. Does that sound more like salvation than these other things we've been talking about? Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Paul tells us later, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what Peter is talking about. This life that comes with being connected with God. Having that wholeness that was broken from the beginning and all the other options of 
ways to try to get it back don't meet. This is where Jesus steps in. This is where he takes all of the penalty and the separation that we deserve and in exchange gives us life now and forever as he unites us with God and restores that relationship which then should affect not only who we are in here but also who we are in the wider world in all, in all of our relationships. This is why Peter and John can't stay silent. When they're talking to the religious authorities who think that there is salvation to be found in following the religion to the T. He says, no. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through the religious leaders and hits them pretty hard and says, they are doing all these religious things. And it's all just a show and a smokescreen because they have no real relationship with God. He hits, then they, later, the others are talking about the political leaders, the power and the authority there. It's not where it is either. It's all in Jesus. Jesus is the one who provides what we actually need. And the world, in all a million different variety of ways, provide temporary, numbing solutions that cover the symptoms and mask the symptoms but do nothing to deal with the heart of the problem. That is not what Jesus is interested in. Jesus came and gave his life to deal with the heart of our problem. This is good news. And we should not be quiet about it. If we are quiet about it, we might want to wonder, we might want to ask ourselves if we've really understood it. Because if we understood how good this is, we'll want to share it. So if you're wanting to stay quiet, first, look and see. Again, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. Secondly, if we're quiet about it, not because we don't want to share it, but because we're afraid to share it, start praying the prayer that believers are praying. Make us bold. We know that you are over all of this. And as this is what you have called us to do, we should not be afraid. We can step out and do exactly what you've called us to do, not in our own strength, but in yours. He always strengthens his people to do the things he's called them to do. Finally, whether, uh, whether we are sharing this publicly in one-on-one conversations, we are praying through all this. Let's also be aware of the many, many temptations around us to settle for less. To settle for these salvations with a small s that aren't real salvation at all. Got to open our eyes that we would see those for the lies that they are. That we would come to know the one who is the way and the truth and the life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.